0: Hi, this is Ian Greg
1: with Alison Greg
0: of the Living Word podcast, introducing this episode about how knowing God leads to knowing who we are.
1: And you thought you had that worked out already. And in a way, we all have. But the realisation of who God is, and how we relate to him through our belief and trust in Jesus, actually redefines who we are.
0: Relationships change us. When we gain a place at college or university or acceptance for an apprenticeship programme, as many young people are doing in this next few weeks, that is a change of identity. And here's another, 43 years ago, my wife walked down the aisle of the parish church and we exchanged solemn promises in marriage. And that changed me. Since then, I've had about 10 variations in occupation involving five moves of home and community. In fact, we're on the point of making the sixth, for family reasons. In each one, I have been seen in a different role and a different way. And although keeping the same faith and values, I've been shaped by those new relationships. In some, I was the go-to person, the one in charge who made things happen. In others, assisting at the bottom end of the scale. In most, I was part of a team working closely with others and God was in all of these shifts and changes and learning experiences. My experience of him grew deeper through these changes. The other thing that grew was my confidence about who I am in him, meaning how God sees me and how he seeks to be a partner in whatever I set out to do.
1: In this episode... We're going to draw on three bible stories which give us this bigger story of how knowing god leads to us really knowing ourselves we're thinking about this after a long and difficult trial leading to a children's nurse being convicted of harming and causing the death of babies in her work in a hospital neonatal unit without getting distracted by details in this most distressing of stories, one thing that came out in the evidence was clearly a picture of a young woman who lacked self-esteem and sought attention to try to feel better about herself. The point is, we all need to be confident about who we are and not try to be someone else.
0: When God is speaking to you about who you are, We have a memorable example of this in the second story, reinforced by the third. Those self-esteem insecurities are robbed of their potency.
1: First up is the story of the Israelites in Egypt, when a new pharaoh, who was hostile to the Israelites, comes to the throne. He wants to make Egypt great again, without other ethnicities clouding the picture. The pharaoh's ambition to build impressive cities in a river delta region, where there were no supplies of stone, needed bricks, millions of them, and the Israelites were set to forced labour in this hard and dirty work, and a crude and barbaric form of birth control was imposed on them. Reading from Exodus 1 verses 11 to 17.
0: So Pharaoh put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields, in all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, "When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him; but if it is a girl, let her live." The midwives, however, feared God. And did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live.
1: Even under such oppression, the Israelites held on to God and he held on to them. As we read, the people increased and became even more numerous. This segment ends with the secret birth and then adoption of Moses who was, of course, God's instrument in leading the Israelites to freedom. And in the context of knowing God and knowing oneself, Moses is an interesting person, because he was not in himself a confident person. This actually became a strength, because he developed such a great sensitivity to and reliance on God. This man, born in threatening circumstance, and in himself lacking confidence, grew to be one of the Bible's greatest leaders through knowing God and being very aware of his own call and close relationship with God.
0: Next, we're going to think about Peter as we know him, or more correctly, Simon the fisherman. Unlike Moses, he was a confident, have a go kind of person, He was used to handling his boat in a storm and using his initiative to find where the fish were shoaling, not always successfully in the Bible stories about him. We see him making plenty of mistakes and saying the wrong thing, but his star quality was that he learned by them.
1: In this part of the story, Peter acts as the spokesman for the rest of the disciples. On this occasion, he is found saying the right thing, as faith, together with the Holy Spirit's revelation, causes him to speak out something quite remarkable.
0: The context is that Jesus and the disciples have travelled beyond the northern edge of Galilee to a newly constructed town, Caesarea Philippi, in the Golan Heights, near where the River Jordan emerges from underground springs close by Mount Hermon. This was a place of mixed-up religion, where people combined Roman, Greek, and local cultic practices. Jesus and the disciples are viewing the backdrop of a vertical cliff face studded with grottos celebrating the Greek god Pan, together with other pagan shrines. You can still see it today. Jesus initiated a conversation, drawing out what people were saying about him, including the superstitious beliefs that Jeremiah or Elijah had somehow returned. And then, Jesus focuses attention on Simon. We're reading now from Matthew sixteen, fifteen to nineteen.
1: But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven.
0: Peter makes this declaration, going right against all that superstitious and pagan stuff, clearly putting himself on the line about who he believes Jesus to be.
1: And Jesus responds to his clear words of faith, giving him a new identity, renaming him as his rock with the promise of heavenly authority conferred on him.
0: Too much is made by some Christian traditions, the ones that believe in a separate caste of priesthood, of a positional authority that comes out of direct succession to Peter. There is no evidence that he was ever the overseer or bishop in Rome. In fact, he may never have been to Rome. And the idea of priestly authority doesn't fit with how Jesus has structured his church, as we will hear shortly.
1: Rather, Peter is the prototype of every disciple who comes through doubts to believe in and truly belong to Jesus. Everyone who believes who Jesus is, who trusts in his saving work and acknowledges him as their Lord, is transformed spiritually. Elsewhere, writing to the church in Corinth and also Galatia, Paul explains this as becoming a new creation embracing a new spiritual start with a new identity. We don't have to change our name by deed poll, but we assume a new heavenly name, rather like in traditional marriage where the woman takes on the man's family name. We become adopted into God's family, and we are now seen by heaven as valued family members.
0: Paul teaches that this change is like the change that came over Peter and the others as they saw Jesus, thou fellow Galilean carpenter, in a new light. It's a work the Holy Spirit does in us. He brings revelation, which means truths revealed spiritually rather than understood cognitively. Paul explains how this works in our third segment. He urges us to be like spiritual containers for offering true worship to God. This is not in the world's way, but in the transformed way that comes from minds renewed by the Holy Spirit. The world's way of worship confuses holy with complicated and leans on symbolic rituals and wordy recitations. But God wants us to approach him person to person. He wants us to make a spiritual connection with a renewed mind and spirit, because God is spirit. A holy pantomime or even a detailed and oratorical sermon won't do that, unless there is true submission to God's spirit to lead and, if necessary, overrule. That's a difficulty with a fixed order of service and a tension with a predetermined format we need to take a renewed approach, spiritual and body-minded, as Paul teaches us here in Romans 12, taking verses 2 to 8.
1: Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, Then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. If a
0: worship service is led exclusively by one authorised person, how can that work? It denies the understanding of the church gathering being a body with many members and mutuality. He goes on to teach that we should be recognising the proclaimers, the anointed servants, those gifted in making complex truths easier to understand, those with faith to use financial resources for the Lord, and those who excel in offering judgment-free care and compassion. And then there are those who's gifted to lead and equip others, as well as the encouragers who coach those less confident and grow them.
1: So, knowing God to know ourselves now takes us into knowing how we fit with others in the body, and what kind of ministry God is stirring up in each one of us who believes. Our story began with the Israelites, who knew they had a covenant with the living God, and to live up to that covenant without compromise was both their identity and their duty, Then we saw how Peter, with the other disciples close behind, had put himself on the line, declaring for all to hear that Jesus is the Son of God. That released him into this hard-to-explain but nonetheless real experience of knowing Jesus and therefore knowing the partnership with God gained through Jesus. And for us today, being aware with quiet humility how God has made us, and is shaping us, makes real the exciting mutuality of the body of Christ and makes possible its spirit-empowered mission.
0: In a sentence, it's all about knowing God, being known by him and truly knowing ourselves.
1: Let's commit what we have learned as we pray together. Allow me to lead you. Lord God, We are so grateful that we don't have to have the right family name or a certificate of knowledge to know you. We thank you that it's about who you know and knowing Jesus is how we, in fact anybody, can come into your presence. We acknowledge you, Jesus, to be the Lord of the Church and we say it is yours. We release any ownership we feel that you may build your church your way. We thank you for new life, for new understanding, and for vision to see your gifts and kingdom touching others. All for your glory. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, that's about it for this week. I hope this has encouraged you and made you more aware of how God is working through you. God bless you and be close to you as you reflect
1: on these things. And so until next time, bye for now.